The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with us, we're going to be in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 23. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand on up. We've got some in the back. We'll just bring those around to you if you want to turn to Luke 23. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to take that one with you. That's our gift to you. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word, and so uh, take that with you if you don't own a Bible. Uh, Last week we started a new series leading us into uh, our Easter uh, uh, services and it's called A Change. And last week we talked about what it looks like to behold the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians it says that when we behold the glory of God, we are transformed, we're changed. And we talked about how we as a church and we as a body and we as individuals long and look for the glory of God and it leaves us different than how we were before. And so what we want to do today is actually take a look at what that practically looks like. What, what does it look like? in a person's life that actually see the glory of God, or in other words, see Jesus for who he is. It says that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, and so when we see Jesus for really who he is, it changes everything. Some of you are here today, and I would say that today is your day that you can actually see Jesus for who he is in his word, and we're going to get a glimpse of what that looks like. And so uh, I'm going to lead us up to Luke chapter 23, uh, because today it actually marks the beginning of uh, Holy Week. And and so uh, at this time, people uh, were coming into Jerusalem, I mean, crowds and crowds of people, uh, to start the Passover uh, festivities. And people were gathering in, including Jesus. Uh, And what would happen is these people would come in, and Jesus, uh, they heard that Jesus was coming. Now, at this point, Jesus was famous. Because of the miracles and the healing, and particularly in John 11, right before this triumphal entry, he lays ra- raised Lazarus from the dead, which actually sent a ripple throughout all of the crowds and all of the cities, and people were coming in. And what happened was, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go into the city, and I'm going to ride on a donkey, I'm going to ride on a colt. And because in Zechariah 9, it says that the Messiah would enter in that way. And so that prophecy is being fulfilled as Jesus comes into the city and people hear Jesus is coming and they take palm branches and they take their coats and they align the road with them and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. And Jesus is riding in and people are cheering and people are shouting and people are just going crazy because of this one man parade who's coming in and his name is Jesus. And people are just getting all fired up. And so this is known as the triumphal injury. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, because people lay down the palm branches before Jesus worshiping him. And so these people are coming in, and they're crying, and they're shouting. And I hope that today you are coming into this place, and you're saying, I want to see Jesus. I want to worship Jesus for who he truly is. And so fast forward through the week, Jesus comes in, and he cleanses the temple. He starts teaching in the temple. Right? There's a plot to kill Jesus. There's, uh, there's the Passover feast with his disciples. You can read all about that through the Gospels. There's uh, the prayers in the garden. There's betrayal in the garden. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is tried. Jesus is beaten. Jesus is mocked. And the same people that were crying Hosanna just a few days later 
As Jesus is brought before them, they are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And it brings us to Luke chapter 23. So Jesus is coming in, and we want to take a look at what does it look like to behold the glory of God and see Jesus for who he is. And so these people are leading Jesus to his death. Look in verse uh, 32, Luke 23, starting in verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So the crowds are shouting, we want him dead, crucify him. And so he's let out. Two other criminals are with him. He's going to be put to death. And when they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus is led away. He's going to be crucified at a place called the skull. And that doesn't sound like a very chipper place to me. All right, unless you're a pirate or Topher. (laughs) Right? Doesn't sound like a happy place. All right, so they're leading Jesus away. All right, they bring him to the place called the skull. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we have in every one of us this this bent towards sin. Every one of us has this bent towards self. We have this this longing. It's almost like a a magnet is pulling on our hearts and on our lives to actually chase everything other than God. Romans 1, it says that we, we worship created things rather than the creator of all things. We thought that we knew what's best. We think that we have the best plan for us. And we have this thing that, that is actually more about ourselves than about God. And the Bible's going to call that iniquity. Everyone say iniquity. This iniquity is not necessarily sin itself, but it is the longing toward other things besides God. It's like, it's like the best that I can explain it, it's like this inward corruption, It's this inward pull that we have that our hearts, they bend toward evil rather than good. And the Bible says in Psalm 51 that we were brought forth into this iniquity. Which means you and I were born with this pull on our hearts away from God and toward ourselves. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says that, that we have thoughts that are, are coming from iniquity. We have actions that come from our iniquity. We have selfish thoughts and self-comforting, and we're self-exalting, and we're self-providing, and we're self-worshipping. We are self-fulfilling the iniquity, the pull on our hearts. Our heart bends toward evil rather than good. You see, our hearts and our thoughts and our actions actually bend toward everything else besides God which means that our natural default is sin. Our natural default is to run rather than to embrace God. It's, it's why as a parent, you have to teach your kids to share and not to bite. Parents, ever been there? I remember when I was a kid, right? My sister would have something that I wanted. I would go over, slap her on the face, bite her on the arm, and take that thing. <laughs> Mine, I want that. Don't worry, she's okay, all right? We made it through. But I remember when my kids were little, you're thinking, like, who, who taught you to do that? 
right? He didn't watch me and mom, right, like fight over the remote. Give me that thing. You know, it's not like that. Listen, nobody taught him to do that. That is an iniquity. That is a longing. They're saying, I'm going to do what I need to do to get what I want, and I don't care the consequences. And so we all have this thing in us, iniquity. And if you think about that for a moment, we've all fallen short. The Bible says, the Bible says we've all sinned. No one's righteous, not even one. We've all turned away. We have all turned to his own way. And by our nature, by our iniquity, by our sin, we are deserving wrath. And we are deserving death. And some of you are like, man, you mean if I bite my sister, it deserves that I die? No, listen, every sin is a separation from God. Every lie. How many of you lied? Right? Every hand, right? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> right? And so every one of us, listen, it's not how, how, how you know, the, the sin doesn't seem to measure up. Listen, how holy, how glorious, how big, how righteous, how good is God that even the smallest belittlement of his name deserves death? We have a little view of God, and so every sin brings about with it death. And in that moment, Jesus is there watching these people nail him to a cross, and he says, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. It's almost like he says, they don't even understand the punishment that they deserve. And so in the middle of it all, Jesus cries out, forgive them. They mock him. They beat him. They put nails in his hands. And he says, forgive them. They don't even know. Now look at, look at verse 34. Because we've got to ask the question, who's the they? Who's the them? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. And they cast lots, divide garments. And the people, everyone say people. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers, everyone say the rulers. The rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And then the soldiers, everyone say soldiers. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sorrow, sorrow wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And so there's the people who stood by watching, who need forgiveness, because by their inaction, they're guilty. You see, sin is not only what we do, it's also what we don't do. And so what happens is these people are in need of forgiveness and they're guilty because of what they don't do. And then the rulers, the rulers, they're scoffing at Jesus. And they're guilty in need of forgiveness because of their scoffing. And then there's soldiers who mock Jesus, who are in need of forgiveness because of their mocking. Make no mistake about it, everyone is guilty except for one, except for Jesus, the only one who can offer the forgiveness that every one of us needs. See, Luke wants to make it very clear that Jesus is the only one who's innocent. 
Because if you read chapter 23, Jesus comes before Pilate, and Pilate says, I don't find any guilt in this man. 23 verse 4. Later in verse 14, he says it again, I don't find any guilt in this man. This man has done nothing wrong. I accuse him of no evil. Herod, the same thing. Remember how they sent Jesus off to Herod, and he was tried by Herod also, brought back and said, neither one of us find him guilty. This man, this man is innocent. And so the crowds call out for his death, crucify him, crucify him. And verse 22, Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? Luke wants to paint this picture that says everyone is guilty except one, and that's Jesus Now in verse 39, one of the criminals talks, speaks. You see, you see, crucifixion was a was a long process. Jesus hung on the cross for hours, long enough to have conversations. Watch in verse 39, because one of the criminals starts talking. One of the criminals who hanged there railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He says, says, are you not God? He says, "Are are you not the Christ? Are you not the chosen one? Are you not the one that you proclaim that you're the Christ and God? He says, why don't you save yourself? He says, why don't you prove it? Save yourself and save us. Listen, I believe that many people walk into church day in and day out or are on the streets in your workplaces in your schools maybe you've come in here today and you ask the same question are you not god prove it if there is a god if there is a good god why doesn't he prove it why doesn't he prove himself And some of you, you maybe walked in here today and you say simply, God, are you God? Prove it. Get me out of this situation. God, get me out of this place. God, stop doing this thing in my life. I can't handle it anymore. I want you to prove it. I want you to change my situation. Are you God? Prove it. Change my circumstance. Are you God? Prove it. Start doing this. God, if you're God, you wouldn't let me suffer. And some people, maybe you're here today and God would say, if you're really God, you would give me this job because I deserve this job. God, if you're really God, you would would save my marriage because I deserve a good marriage. God, if you're really God, you would prove it by giving me happiness or giving me comfort, comfort because you know what I deserve? I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be healthy and I deserve to be wealthy. If you're God, prove it by giving me these things. Now, don't mishear me, because I truly believe that God can and does bless people. He does give good things. But hear me, it's not because we deserve it. It's because of his grace. Everything that we get is a gift. It's a gift. It says that all things come from him and are for him and are through him. Everything is a gift. But some of you, maybe you're here today and you've, you've walked out on the faith altogether. 
Because, because God didn't prove himself to you the way that you wanted him to prove it to you. Maybe you walked out of faith altogether because, because he didn't give you what you wanted, but instead he's given you exactly what you needed. He brought you to a place where you looked up and you were helpless in need of a savior. And maybe you blame God for your pain. Maybe you blame God for your past. Maybe you blame God for your hurts. Maybe you blame God for your situation. Maybe you blame God for your crisis. And you're railing at heaven and saying, aren't you God? Prove it. Get me out of this. Why don't you get me off this cross? And Jesus wants to tell you this morning, Father, Forgive them. They don't even know what they do. The criminal is only talking about salvation from his current situation, nothing more. He doesn't understand that he faces a fate far worse than death on a cross. The criminal doesn't understand that he faces a fate that's far worse than just temporary suffering. He faces an eternal suffering. I'll be honest that some of you walked into this place today and you face a fate that is far worse than you not getting that job. You face a fate that is far worse than you losing your marriage. A fate that is far worse than you losing your house. A fate that is far worse than you actually being out of the current situation you find yourself in. Jesus came... And he suffered and died because we all faced something worse than getting the comforts and the pleasures of this life. And so Jesus dying on a cross doesn't disprove, it actually confirms that he came to seek and save the lost. Because in our sin, we're guilty. In our sin, we're separated from God. In our sin, there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves back to God. And in God, there's life. And apart from him, there is no life. And Jesus says to you today, my death is the only way that any of you can be forgiven. Jesus' death and suffering on the cross doesn't call into question his ability to be the Christ. It actually proves it. So he stays right where he is. Now look in verse 40. Because the other criminal, who is also guilty, begins to speak. He says... It says, but the other rebuked him, talking about the other criminal. Do you not fear God since we're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, the other criminal, he's absolutely guilty, but he comes back and he says, are you crazy? Don't you see what's happening here? We're getting what we deserve, but this man, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. We're under the same penalty. We're getting what we deserve. Let me ask you a question. What do you deserve? I think think that verse in, in Corinthians where it talks about seeing the glory of God with an unveiled face and unveiled heart there's a moment where we see with an unveiled face and an unveiled heart what we absolutely deserve so what do you deserve do you believe that God owes you something 
You say, God, you owe me this. You owe me a good life. Do you believe that God owes you something? I mean, listen, if we were to take all your thoughts and all your actions and all your motives and all your ambitions, what does God owe you? Let me just be very clear. It's not a scale system with God. There's not mostly guilty or mostly innocent. It can't be a scale system with God. God is not looking at a verdict of, 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 did you do more good than bad? Because Jesus, listen to me, he doesn't look at your spiritual resume and then decide if he wants you on the team or not. Ooh, look at that. Varsity in the church. Pretty awesome. Sunday school, mm, I like that. Five years of experience from the pulpit, woo! Listen, he doesn't take your spiritual resume and then decide, you know, this guy's going to be pretty good on my team, I should pick him. That's not how it works. Because the prophet Isaiah sees the glory of God, and he falls to his knees, and he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people that are dirty. Please don't kill me. John sees the glorified Christ in Revelation, and it says that he falls to his face like a dead man. Listen, no one stands before a right, holy, just God and begins to boast in all their good works. We're guilty. Listen, you don't go before a judge and say, okay, okay, but, but, but judge, um, look at all the good things I've done. Listen, all the good things don't make you innocent. So it can't be a scale system with God. We need mercy. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need acquittal. And we all, like the criminal, in the presence of Jesus, must come to a point where we have to acknowledge we deserve to die. And this criminal hanging on the cross, looking at the other one, says, are you crazy? We deserve this. We have to acknowledge that we deserve the punishment for our iniquity and our sin, which means everything we have is a gift. Every job is a gift. Every marriage is a gift. Every treasure of this world is a gift. Every breath is a gift from God. And this guilty criminal who's hanging next to Jesus comes to realize what we must realize, that I deserve to die. And he says, are you crazy? He's not boastful. He's not proud. But rather, he just simply confesses, man, I deserve this. I need help. I need help. Look at verse 42. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's almost like he feels so guilty, so weighed down, that he says, Jesus, could you? Like, like, would you? Like, is it even possible that you could remember me? He says, is it even possible that you could save me? 
Lord, is there any way? Do you hear the plea from a desperate place? Lord, I deserve death. Is there any way that you would have mercy on me? Is there any way you would show me that grace? Is there any way? Let me ask you, have you been there? Have you ever been to the place of desperation and guilt? Maybe you've walked into this place and you say, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to read the Bible. I don't even know how to play this game. And Jesus, Jesus, could you? Would you? Even as a pastor, there's days, I mean, there's times I feel overwhelmed by the realization that I am completely unworthy of his salvation. Completely unworthy. But look at the most powerful response that Jesus gives. Jesus, Jesus' response changes everything, and I pray that his response will change the way that you see your life. Verse 42, he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, I tell you the truth, today, everyone say today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen, not someday when you finally get your act together. You know, I wish I could save you if you could just somehow, you know, start doing the right things. I could possibly save you if you started going to church and stopped being a bad boy. I could possibly say, no, no, no. He says, today, right now, in this moment, I'm going to give you more than you ever dreamed. And I'm going to do it sooner than you ever hoped. Jesus says, right now, today, I will save you. This man has done nothing, nothing to deserve his grace, nothing to deserve salvation. So what does he do? What does the man on the cross do? He confesses, I'm a sinner, and I deserve to die. And he also confesses with his heart that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, I deserve this, but you you have the power to save. Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, Jesus wants to give you more than just simply deliverance from pain. He wants to give you more than a good job. He wants to do more than give you a comfortable life. He wants to do more, and he wants to save you for eternity. Today, I pray that you would remove every thought that God can't love you. Every barrier that says, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy of you. Listen, the criminal on the cross had nothing to offer Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll save you. Remove every thought that God can't love you. Remove any thought that Jesus has somehow forgot about you. Remove every thought that somehow God can't or won't save you. And listen, for others of you, you're here today, and you've called upon Jesus, and you've said, yeah, Eric, I believe in Jesus. I've given him my life. I've given him my heart. I've confessed my sin. I know that he can save me, and I believe that it is by his grace that I've been saved. But today, you've walked in here, and you found yourself in a place of bondage. You found yourself in a place of struggle, and you've tried so hard with all of your strength somehow to get yourself off that cross. But listen, that's the opposite of the gospel. 
You say, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm drowning in temptation. I'm drowning in my sin. I can't seem to get a hold of it. Listen to me. It's by, your, by his grace that you are saved. And it's by his grace that you are saved. Some of you, you're just struggling. And you're trying to white knuckle this thing and you're trying to get yourself off the cross. You're trying to get yourself free. You're trying to get yourself out of the situation. You're trying to overcome the sin on your own. But listen to me, it's by his grace that you're saved and it's by your grace that you're saved. It's his grace alone. Nothing more. You do not have the power or the strength or the ability within yourself to clean yourself up or to overcome anything. You don't have the ability, not your devotion, not your dedication. You need Jesus to be your Savior. You need Jesus. It's what you need. It's what I need. We need to call out to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that changes everything. It's always been Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. And so today, my plead for you today is not for you to try and get yourself off the cross but to humble yourself before Jesus and say, I see you with an unveiled face. I see you for who you are. You are the Savior that ministers grace, and grace is what I need. Because his grace, it changes everything. His blood is sufficient for the criminal's salvation, and his blood is sufficient for your salvation. Jesus' blood is sufficient to sustain you and deliver you and to heal you and to sanctify you from every temptation that you face. It is his grace, the grace of Jesus Christ that changes everything. And I don't know where you're at today, but I'm going to pray that we would cling to that grace that saves that criminal and cling to that grace that saves us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, today I pray that we would be a people that that throw in the towel, that that simply give up trying to be strong enough. That we would be a people that simply give up on trying to be good enough. That we'd be a people that that give up on trying to be righteous enough. But today we would see you with an unveiled face, with an unveiled heart to see you for who you really are, the Savior of dead men, the Savior of men and women that deserve death, and you came and you died, the innocent one for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might see you glorious. Lord, today we lay our lives down We cling to your grace, and we ask you, Lord, to remind us of your goodness and your saving power from all of our sin. Jesus, today, there may be men, there may be women, there may be people here that just simply need you. They don't know how to pray. They don't know what to say. But, Lord, would you tell them you're near? Would they just simply look to heaven and say, could you? Would you? Jesus, I'm here. 
I need you. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. For it is our mouth that we confess and our justified our heart that we believe. Let us be a people that confess. Let us be a people that worship the saving grace of Jesus. In your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.